And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It is, of course, Thursday, second best day of the week as we get ready to head into the weekend, of course, right around the corner. We're heading into the Ides of March next week of course, is the Federal Reserve and what they're going to be doing in terms of hiking rates. Monetary policy, as we've talked about yesterday, is really kind of front and center right now. But at the same time that they're talking about hiking rates to reduce inflationary pressures by slowing economic growth, there's a lot of environmental factors right now that are already doing that job for them. And in fact, tightening is already occurring because of high energy prices, high prices on used cars, food prices, wheat prices, all that's extracting liquidity from consumers, which is 70% of the economy. So that is in effect slowing economic growth. And as economic growth slows, that's the whole purpose of bringing down its pressures. So one thing we'll talk about with Mike this morning is as we go into the meeting next week, does the Fed choose to back off of their inflationary stand help support financial markets at this point to protect against financial instability or do they charge full steam ahead to hike rates to break the back of inflation but then a bigger problem in terms of financial stability later on in the year the difference this morning is going to be of course that we're seeing a move now uh, oil prices did crack a bit yesterday, but up again today. And, and yesterday was really very much a, a short squeeze rally. We saw that these kind of outsized rallies before historically. And that ultimately leads to, you know, these kind of very volatile moves in markets. That makes it very difficult to short markets and, and to be short markets. And, you know, this has been a challenging, you know, correction. And, that, and so far, this is all it's been is just a correction in the markets that has been very challenging to try to short against because if you're short the market then it rallies against you and we saw this yesterday big short squeeze yesterday driving prices higher but a couple of things that did happen after the bell yesterday amazon announced that they will be <clears throat> splitting their stock 20 to 1. now this has become kind of a bit of a de facto move here by these high price stocks lately google has done the same thing recently in fact their stock split takes place in june if i'm not mistaken and they've also announced a $10 billion stock buyback. Again, another kind of a de facto move. Now, we've talked about this before, that stock buybacks have been very supportive of these big companies. And one reason these big companies have not corrected as much as, you know, the other type of companies in the markets, and again, below the surface of the S&P index, which is only down 10% for the year, you take a look below that surface, and there's a lot of stocks. In fact, we have more stocks near 52 lows than we've had at any other point in 30 years. And it's not by a little bit. It's by a large margin of stocks hitting 52-week lows. And, and this is just really goes to show you that below the surface, almost like an iceberg, you know, you see the tip of the iceberg, but below the waterline, there's this huge mountain of ice. And that's really what's been happening with the markets. You look at the market, which is Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, those guys, they're really supporting the markets. And a big reason for that support of the market and in, in those big cap names is they have the ability to buy back $10 billion worth of stock. 
companies like Snowflake or Palantir, a lot of these smaller companies simply don't have that kind of excess capital laying around and cash flows because they're already they're already in the in the process of a cash burn. They're running you know negative uh, negative profits. They don't have that ability to buy back these shares, which help support their stock prices. Now, remember, we talked about this before. We wrote an article that 40% of the rally in the S&P since 2011 has been solely driven by share buybacks. So you strip out the share buybacks over the last decade, and the market's roughly about 40% lower than where it is right now. So that just goes to show you the magnitude of these buybacks. Anyway, Amazon now joining the club, 24-1 stock back, buy, stock buyback. Sorry, 24-1 stock split and a 10 billion share buyback. Stock will be up this morning, at least at the open. It was up about 10% after the bell last night. It's up about 6% last time I checked this morning. But the market's going to be down uh, this morning. Dow's down about 310 points right now. The S&P down about 35, 40 points at the moment. So there's going to be a drag uh, on that. Now, what I was going to show you this morning with our charts, of course, as we look at you know the indexes, we uh, the rally yesterday took us right back to the previous break of the lows. So the problem with today's sell-off is that we're now confirming that break of the recent lows. So it will be crucially important that over the next day or so, being either Friday or Monday, that something happens to the positive here that gets the markets back above the break of that support. The longer that we linger below that break of support, the more risk there is of a bigger move to the downside and a continuing correction in the markets. Now, having said that, as I've discussed before, we've already had two negative months. We've had the worst start of any market over the last 20 years. In fact, the only time we've had a worse start to a new year was in January and February of 2009. And then, of course, March the 9th marked the bottom of the financial crisis bear market that started in 2008. But that was the last time we had a worse start than we've had this year. It's very rare that you get three negative months in a row. So we're due for a fairly decent rally. And as I discussed with Charles Payne yesterday, and this is in our daily market commentary this morning, um, there's a real potential here for this market to have a fairly substantial reflexive rally. And in fact, if you go back in history and look at t previous 10% corrections, these 10% corrections tend to rally. You tend to have rallies out of 10% corrections. Now, the difference between a 10% rally going back into a new bull market or failing and going to new lows is whether or not you are in a recession or not. And of course, right now, the risk of a recessionary drag in the economy is, is rising rapidly. And when we can see that kind of in effect by what's happening with the yield curve as well, but the tightening of monetary policy by the Federal Reserve, uh, high oil prices, high wheat prices, high food prices, high gasoline prices, all these type of things are going to help push the economy towards a recession by the end of this year, if not the early part of next year. So this is that will ultimately be the deciding factor to really a couple of things here. And, and the first one of those is how aggressive is the Fed really in terms of hiking interest rates? And the second thing will be how markets perform because as we start to move towards a recessionary drag in the economy, all of a sudden the markets have to begin repricing much lower expected rates of earnings growth than we currently have right now. Currently, right now, 
earnings estimates into 2022, 2023 are extraordinarily high based on last year's growth. They have not come down yet to start adjusting for the lack of liquidity, inflationary drag, growth cycle that we are entering into, and that has yet to be done, and that is going to make valuations at these levels very hard to justify. When we come back, Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden say that, uh, yeah, it's all the shell industry fault for we have uh, oil problems. We'll talk about the naivete of our government politicians and the oil market right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. So as Americans are currently faced with the highest gas prices that we've seen in quite some time, at least uh, since prior to 2008. Oil prices up over $110 a barrel this morning, about 113 You know, consumers going to the gas pump, trying to fill up their gas tank and seeing, you know, depending on where you live, and if you're in California, you're seeing $6 in the front handle of, you know, premium-grade gasolines. In Texas, it's still reasonable. I guess if you call it reasonable, it's a little over $4 for mid-grade gasoline. So it just depends on, you know, depends on perspective and where you live, but, you know, it's still expensive. And it's interesting because the, you know, it's almost laughable when politicians and people that work in government come out and make statements. Just let me read you this one statement from yesterday. And I've also got Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning. He'll chime in on this conversation as well. The U.S. State Department's senior energy security advisor, Amos Hushting, saying the falling, uh, the freefall in the White House approval ratings, of course, turned the tables hoping that most Americans are idiots and, uh, and said that, quote, Shell companies choosing not to reinvest massive profits into higher production growth at a time of war is appalling. And the this is the problem with people that run government. And it's also the problem with Americans who buy into a lot of these virtue signaling issues without thinking about the consequences of those actions. We have to step back here in time to just before the end of the Trump administration and there was this movement afoot. So this was in the last year or so of the Trump administration. Of course, everybody hates President Trump because, you know, he was terrible. He was the worst president ever, of course, as we have been told repeatedly. And he was destroying the environment. We had to have this push. And, of course, BlackRock and a lot of these other big ETF-issuing companies made this movement towards ESG investing, this environmental social governance investing. And this was to save the climate. 
right? We had to save the planet. And it was now the job of Wall Street to jump into the climate change fight. And it's all fine and dandy, right? And as we've written about here on the show before numerous times, of course, this was really a windfall profit for Wall Street who said, hey, you know what? We can sucker America. I mean, I'm sorry. We can get investors to help invest their virtues and we can charge them four times as much for exactly the same fund that they owned before when they just owned the S&P index. But hey, don't worry about that. Just pay attention to the virtue. Okay, no problem. So, of course, as is always the case because of politics and alignment and, and people in power wanting more power, they then convinced all the major pension funds, CalPERS, um, you know, uh, the unions, of course, uh, to, to, to divest themselves of oil and energy stocks because they're they're contributing they are the biggest contributors to climate change despite the fact that we have clean coal and clean drilling and all this stuff so they are the biggest contributors to climate change so we need to divest ourselves from these companies and so all these companies sold off these oil and grass drillers so here we're making this move and then the Biden administration comes into office and the first thing they do is sign an executive order to halt the, the completion of the XL pipeline which would have brought millions of dollars or millions of gallons of oil from Canada to Cushing, Oklahoma in a much safer manner than trucking it across roads or railways. So we halted that. Then we restricted drilling on federal lands and then we restricted permits for oil companies. So now, you know, this is all fine. Oil prices were negative in 2021. So don't really need to drill much when you have negative oil prices. Oil prices were low, and this certainly seemed to be all okay, fine, and dandy until you have oil prices surging on the back of a geopolitical crisis. Now, all of a sudden, there's a shortage of oil. Under the Trump administration, it's worth remembering that we were a net exporter of oil. We are now importing oil because of these restrictions. So... You know, not to miss a moment of crisis here, the government is now wanting to blame shell drillers and oil drillers in general for their appalling stance of not going out and drilling like crazy right now, right? You know, before it's like drilling is bad, it's bad for the climate, we don't want anybody drilling. Drill, baby, drill is now the new mantra in the White House. But you just can't turn on a switch and start drilling a well. And also you haven't opened up more permits, and you haven't opened up federal lands, and you haven't completed the uh, XL pipeline. So there's lots of things the government could be doing to help facilitate the drilling of more wells. But even if you do that, you can't flip on a well overnight and increase that production. It just doesn't happen that way. So yes, while it may seem to be appalling that these shell companies aren't going out and just drilling like crazy, it's not really their fault. But see, nobody wants to accept responsibility. We talked about this yesterday is that, you know, the biggest problem we have with government in general and people in general is that nobody wants to accept responsibility for their actions. The consequences of policy is what, are, is what has put us into this current situation and pointing fingers and blaming the people that can solve the problem after you put them in a corner 
and not allowing them to do their job is not helping solve that problem either. Now, on top of this, then we have Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren coming out. She now is promoting, once again, a bill for a windfall profits tax on these evil oil companies who are making ginormous profits on drilling, right? They need to now pay a windfall's profit tax. Well, if anybody would tap Elizabeth Warren on the shoulder for a minute, set her down and show her how uh, you know products work, when oil prices rise, so does the cost of drilling, your profit, if you go back and look at the history of profit margins, now we're talking about the, the spread of operating profits between what it costs to, for ExxonMobil to drill something versus what they actually get in profits. Their profit margin doesn't change dramatically whether or not oil prices are at $140 a barrel or $50 a barrel. Because when the cost of or when oil prices go up, so does the cost of everything else. Right now, there's a shortage of sand for fracking. You are paying through the nose to get sand for fracking. That's a cost. That reduces your profit margin. Yes, there may be getting more dollars per barrel, but it's not at the same cost that they had at $20 a barrel. So this, this vision of massive profits isn't really there. But yet here's another action to curtail oil and gas companies from doing what you want them to do, which is to go out and drill, right? If you want lower gas prices at the pump, let them do their job. Quit turning around at every corner and trying to punish them for wanting them to do their job and to be profitable. But at the bottom of all of this, this is the consequence of actions of ESG. We warned you about this whole this whole issue when it started. We've written about it numerous times, and we said it was only a function of time until the reality of this ESG climate change environment. You were going to pay the price for it. Well, you want a cleaner climate? Here's the cost for having it. Mike, welcome to the show this morning. How are you? Thank you. I didn't know if I'd get a chance to speak today. Well, you were you're on the short list. <laughs> Uh, that was that was a topic of my article yesterday. Right. It's what it's the price of oil and how it affects the economy, but why the price of oil is so high. And there's a really there's two interesting graphs in there. One is rig counts versus the price of oil. And you look at it and the two lines pretty much follow each other. So as the price of oil goes up, the number of rig counts goes up. In other words, energy companies drill. And when it goes down, they, they take those offline. And they track each other. And what that does, what it has done in the past is it allows the price of gas and oil to moderate. So when prices get too high, you eventually get an oversupply of oil onto the market, which brings it back down and vice versa when they get too low. And that was a naturally stabilizing uh, market uh, tool, right? Now, now that doesn't happen. Now, they have such disincentives that the, the whole green energy plan, mm -hmm. maybe maybe what we need to do might be the right idea, but there's no plan to get from A to B. We just want to get to B and eliminate carbon energy, eliminate all the old bad forms of energy. And now we're paying a dear price for that decision. We, you know, we haven't factored in what happens in an emergency when we're desperate for oil. 
And that's what we're up against up against now. And you know what? No one's talking. Elizabeth Warren isn't talking about the Federal Reserve, who has pumped a ton of money into the economy and is generating inflation. Right. Mm-hmm. Crude oil was at 80 bucks before anyone heard of Ukraine. <laughs> right. No, right? This, it wasn't this, cheap. Yeah, no, this is exactly right. And, and, and you know, in this whole idea of, of again, to your point, I'm not against green forms of energy, et cetera. I mean, we have so many, you know, so many abundant forms, you know, natural gas, LNG, et cetera. There's, there's so many abilities to have a clean energy efficient system, but we're all focused on the most non-efficient systems of clean energy, right? Solar, wind, you know, electric vehicles, and these are all very non-efficient, but they all require and they're, and they're heavily dependent on energy. To create that energy, which is, you know, the exact opposite of what you should be doing. I mean, we should be focusing on nuclear, which provides a very clean, long-lasting, efficient form of energy. But the things that we should be focusing on, we're not focusing on those issues. And to your point exactly, we kind of missed the middle step. Between getting from A to Z, we missed all the other letters in the alphabet that should have been factored into the fact is like, this is how we transition over 50 years from oil and gas to some other form of energy, which is predominantly going to be hydrogen, nuclear, et cetera. But, you know, our social planners in Washington certainly couldn't wait that long. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com there's a war being waged on your retirement dollar and unless you act now you'll lose the battle with inflation higher taxes and a lower standard of living you can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement april 2nd at the embassy suites houston richard rosso and danny ratliff will help you fortify your life savings make the most of social security and lower your taxes Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. All right, switching gears. Okay, I'm off my soapbox this morning. Just stupidity fires me up. <laughs> but what do you expect from Washington uh, and Wall Street generally? Um, switching gears here, Federal Reserve up to meet next week. And, of course, this is the, the big debate now as to what they will do in terms of monetary policy. You know, one camp says that they're going to have to hike interest rates and they're going to have to stay on tack because of the impact of inflation. And with inflation running at, you know, seven and a half percent and uh, we're going to get a CPI print this morning as well which is going to feed into that but with high oil prices now that that's pushing you know oil prices are now going to push out the peak of inflation a couple of months so again as we've talked about before we measure inflation on a year-over-year basis so starting in April April is going to be the first positive print of inflation that we compare to on a year-over-year basis so in March, this CPI print that we're going to get today is still compared to a negative inflationary print from last year. 
So next month is going to be the first month of a positive inflationary print, and those are going to get stronger as, as we get to this time next year. This time next year, we're going to be comparing inflation to 7.5%, which is going to make it very difficult to have much more inflation unless oil prices are $500 a barrel by then. But this is just the way we measure inflation. Doesn't mean, you know, just because inflation goes down doesn't mean at all that you're paying cheaper prices. It just means we're comparing it to a higher number in the past. That's all that means. So just keeping that in perspective. But this is a problem for the Fed. The Fed's got this issue now of needing to hike rates as we start to move into this year. At the same time, though, they've got a market that's already in the midst of a correction. The economy's slowing down rapidly. You've got high oil prices. You've got high auto prices. You've got high home prices. You know, there's a lot of drag, and this is what we talked about uh, yesterday and actually earlier this morning, too, is that if you take a look at what's happening inside of the economy, even without the Federal Reserve tightening monetary policy, monetary policy is already being tightened by high prices and high inflation, which is extracting liquidity out of the market at a time when all that liquidity that we dumped into the system that created the inflation in the first place is now gone. That's all reversing. So the problem for the Fed here over the next meeting, or two or three or four, is going to be them hiking rates to combat inflation at a point in time where the inflationary pressures are already doing their job for them and slowing the economy down much more than most people expect. So this is the debate this morning. Is the meeting next week with the Fed, what do they do? How aggressive are they? And do they start to try to thread this needle between trying to support financial stability and combat inflation? Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's the big bet that we have, right? Apparently me and you have a bet on this. We still have to work out the terms and how we figure it out. And I think inflation, even though it may appear we're on opposite pages, I believe that the Fed will worry more about inflation than protecting the stock market. I have no doubt that at some point a stock market sell-off will get the Fed to, to reverse course. So it's a question of when, not if. But when we look at this environment, and start comparing it to things in our past, in you know, pretty much every investor's past, they've never seen inflation, right? We're gonna have inflation today. CPI comes out today. It's possibly gonna be over 8%. That is a big number. And now between oil prices, wheat prices, so many other prices, we have another dose of inflation that will work through the system over time. And it does take time. It's not just the price at the pump, which filters through really quickly. It's that the price of energy takes a while to filter through. Everything, just about everything we buy is made of oil. And if it's not made of oil, it's produced with oil and shipped with oil and possibly stored with oil, right? Even an apple. Mm -hmm. An apple may be picked by hand, but when they send it cross country, it's going in a truck. Then it's going to your supermarket where it's going to sit in a refrigerator using energy. Then it's coming to your house for a refrigerator. So every product consumes oil to some degree, just about every product. And that inflation still has yet to come through. Now, at the same time, what you said, Lance, is 100% correct. Mathematically, the rate of inflation will start coming down, right? Used mm -hmm. car prices are not soaring like they were. 
So even if they just stay at current levels, the year over year rates of inflation start going to zero. If the price of a used car today is the same as it was a year ago, even though that may be up 40% from the year before that, you have 0% used car inflation. So mathematically, we expect it to come down. And we've been saying this for mm -hmm. months now, right? That somewhere between February and June, there should be this natural decline of inflation. Now there's a little monkey wrench. <laughs> we got this new burst of inflation again. And what that'll do is prolong higher rates of inflation right it'll, and they'll push it out for it'll push it out for a couple months and importantly push it out. yeah and to your point you know the you know high oil prices you know 130 dollar barrel oil that won't show up in the cpi calculation for three months right which is because they use a three-month lag on oil prices when the fed's looking at, at inflation so you know even their own inflation measure is probably lagging what they should be doing but but they're aware of what's going on i mean they see this going on they have to be concerned at this juncture that they're going to make a policy mistake by trying to hike rates into this environment but they really honestly don't have a choice if they don't raise rates and get off of zero then they're stuck at zero when you have a recession and their only real policy tool that affects the economy in really any kind of form or fashion is dropping rates back to zero that's that's really the only the qe doesn't you know it boosts asset prices but it really doesn't filter into the economy. And there's plenty of evidence to that to that effect. A year ago, me and you were saying that the Fed should be taking, they should start raising rates, right. they should start reducing QE. Now, let's say they had done that. Fed funds now be one, one and a half, whatever they might be. QE would have ended probably a, a while back. They could look at Ukraine, they'd probably be a little bit less inflation. They could look at Ukraine and say, okay, we're going to stop raising rates or maybe we'll even lower rates a little bit. It'll mm -hmm. be temporary, but we're just going to we can react to this event. Now they can't react. They put themselves into such a corner that let's say they, they come out uh, next Wednesday and they said, OK, we're not going to do anything. We said we're going to raise rates. We're going to raise them in late April, but we're not going to do it now because of Ukraine and the uncertainty and geopolitical. And, you know, they'll go on and they'll use big words to try to explain it. But the market is going to be very concerned. They're going to the market will think the Fed doesn't care about inflation. I need to hedge inflation. I need to protect against inflation. I'm going to sell my bonds. I'm going to buy commodities and they can worsen the problem. And the stock market isn't going to like that. The stock market may initially like it. The stock market will say, oh, great. The Fed's never going to raise rates. But now you're going to be looking at slightly higher inflation. You're going to the the inflation figures may not show it, but all the things that we look at will show it, right? All these commodity prices, the CRB index, are going to show more inflation. The inflation expectations, implied inflation, is going to zoom higher because it is thought that the Fed doesn't care, that they're just going to let inflation do whatever it wants to do. And that will weigh on the stock market, maybe not initially. That could take a day, it could take a week, could take a few weeks they put themselves in even a bigger yeah. trap but but yeah th and that's true the only way but they're gonna have to figure out a way to to, to thread that needle because right. again inflation is going to come down they they know this just on the mathematical comparison so it would not be surprising at all to see the fed come out next week and say we're hiking rates 25 basis points you know as we've already clearly said and we realize there's inflation but inflation rates will start to taper later this year 
So we're going to take a wait and see approach to inflation and start to you know kind of soften that window. Because right now, expectations are still that the Fed's going to hike rates six to seven times over the course of this year and next year. And that there's just feasibly no way for them to do that. They might get to 1% before they cause an economic problem or financial instability. But they're going to have to figure out a way really to thread this needle to keep you know, the markets from completely coming unraveled uh, at the next meeting on Wednesday. So a year ago, the Fed was saying the same thing. They were saying inflation is transitory. They used the word transitory to death. They, they couldn't stop using it. And they said inflation will come down later in the year. That didn't happen. How many times are they going to cry wolf? And now well, we have know, but the, 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 it's inflation. Not, it's, right, but it's not about them crying wolf, though, Mike. It's, it's a function of what the public hears. And again, the markets aren't going to look back and go, um, oh, yeah, they said this before. And we're not going to believe them this time. The markets are going to respond to what they say. And it doesn't matter that they've said transitory before. If they revive that term transitory, the markets are likely to respond to it being transitory. I disagree. I, I think the market is being Mark shown inflation <laughs> numbers that we've never seen. Well, we have seen these before. And yeah, we when saw we were them back, 10 years old. Well, no, when you were 10 years old. but <laughs> And you were 12, sorry. <laughs> but no, we have seen these inflation numbers before, and there's plenty of history for it. But again, the markets don't really care about that. What they care about is, is what is the Fed going to do right now? And, and again, I'm not arguing with you that they're not going to hike rates, but they're going to have to figure out a way to soften that language because if they come out with a very hawkish statement, the market is not going to like that. And we're going to look at moving from a 10% correction into a 20% bear market fairly quickly. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Well, I have good news for you this morning. One of the uh, best things that have happened to society happened this morning at about 6 a.m. TikTok did an update to their social media platform and has wiped out everybody's videos. <laughs> so if you go onto your TikTok account, your videos are gone. Well, there you go. It's actually a good thing. People will be more productive today because they have nothing to watch on TikTok. So point. our kids will learn something at school today. Yeah, it could be. Um, you know, it is interesting. Uh, you know, if <laughs> back, you know, we were talking about with our daughter over the weekend about 
you know, what it was like growing up at our age, right? You know, we, if, if you wanted to call somebody, you had to wait for somebody not to use the phone in the house. And if you're on the phone too long, somebody would pick up the other end of the, the, the phone and say, get off the phone. I got to call somebody. You had to know people's phone numbers. They, they just weren't, you know, it wasn't, you know, call Frank, right? And your phone automatically dials and stuff. You had to remember Frank's number. Uh, but we're also talking about taking pictures. You know, back in the day when you looked at a photo album, there was always one person missing in the photo album. And it was the person that was taking the picture, <laughs> yes. right? Now the photo album is, look, I've got an entire photo album of pictures of me. You know, the nar- <laughs> we, we will now become known in history as the narcissistic society. So <laughs> no, no longer are family photos. It's all about me. That's generation N. Exactly. <laughs> it's the next one coming. <laughs> but this morning, narcissism will take an ugly turn as you cannot watch videos of yourself <laughs> this morning. <laughs> Anyway, um, is that why the is that why the market's trading off this morning? It could be this morning that this is all TikTok's fault. Uh, we'll see what happens. No, you know, and that's kind of an interesting point. Markets are trading off this morning. Now, yesterday we had this huge rebound rally, and as we talked about earlier this morning, the the good news of that is that we did defend a very minute level of support, which was effectively kind of the open of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And and we opened down about 3% that day. And we were kind of retesting that low uh, day before yesterday, rebounded nicely off that yesterday, big advance. Now, this was the largest one day advance that we've had in the last decade. Um, it was a huge one day advance for the markets. S&P was up, you know, very strongly to almost 3%. NASDAQ was up more than 3% yesterday. So big reflexive rally. Now this morning, um, we're going to be opening lower on just basically this kind of end of the short covering, you know, the pressure on the markets and the things that were impacting the markets before yesterday are still there. So we're going to have this, you know, continuing, you know, this kind of continuing process of, you know, rallies are met by sellers. And every time there's a rally, people that are trapped on the long side are selling out investments it's like oh my gosh i got an opportunity to get out so they're selling and this is putting more pressure on the markets but the things that are driving the decline in the market hasn't changed right it's inflation it's concern over the fed policy it's concern over tighter monetary policy it's concern over outlooks for earnings outlooks for for valuations all these type of things the markets are trying to factor that in so we're certainly not out of the woods yet and these type of one day rallies are very normal for bear markets we this is the type of thing we see in bear markets in fact michael did a a study recently when we had that open uh on the russia ukraine invasion markets were down three and then we finished up three percent for the day mike when you did that study how many times did that happen and when did it happen it almost never happens but when it does it was two between 2000 2003 and 2008 9 that that's when we have those type of events it's, it's extreme volatility, and that's what we're seeing. You know, the uh, I think it was Monday, maybe last Friday, there were about seven moves of plus and minus 1% within that one day. The market just whipping around from being scared to death of Russia to a ceasefire <laughs> to what the Fed's going to do to a ceasefire to yeah. Putin is going to lay down his arms to he's going to bomb Ukraine to the Stone Ages. And the market is very volatile. And it's starting to shake some mm-hmm. investors out and they are 
it's not the market that we've become accustomed to over the last year and a half. And I think that's the that's what we need to learn about bear markets versus bull markets. Bull markets are lower volatility, trending steady. If you're wrong, you're still up. You know, if you're wrong, it's because you picked the wrong sectors. And instead of making 12 percent in a year, you made 10 percent in a year, right. which call me wrong. Right. <laughs> but, All day long. But the problem in a bear market is they, they trade in very volatile fashion. The volatility is much higher than it is in a uh, bull market. And it's not just down volatility. It's up, down, whipping around. Mm -hmm. It, they're really difficult to trade because you can't hold on to a short position because of days like yesterday you get whipped and you can't stay long because the market is trending lower. So there, it's very important to, first of all, establish that we're in a bear market, which we haven't established that. Yes, we're down. You know, the Nasdaq was down 20 percent at one point. Is that a bear market? I, you know, that's a number we can put on a bear market, but I wouldn't say it's a bear market yet. The S&P is only down about 10 percent. A lot of stocks are in bear markets, right? They're down 50, 60, 70 percent for some of the high flyers. But and even a lot of those cases, they're just back to levels that they were at a year ago. Mm -hmm. You know, we're taking off some of the excess and as we should, because we're going into a different monetary policy regime and a different economic re regime and a different fiscal regime. Right. There's no more checks to the public. There's no more massive spending bills, at least, you know, not yeah. now. I'm <laughs> sure those are those are coming soon enough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a very different regime than we're used to. And the market is trying to figure that out now. What does that mean? Is it good for stocks, bad for stocks? And that's why the Fed is such an important thing right here. How aggressive are they going to be? And this is, you know, this again is our debate. Does the stock market matter more than inflation? I lean a little bit more towards inflation, Lance a little bit more to stocks. But I think what you'll find out when you really, you know, if you could hear our conversations throughout the day, is that we're a lot closer. I just think it, it's a matter of numbers. You know, Lance thinks the Fed comes to the rescue five minutes quicker than I do. If the market's down 30 percent, I think maybe they'd let it go down 25 percent. Mm -hmm. Lance thinks they draw the line at 15 to 20 percent or whatever it is. Right. But we both know the Fed puts there and the Fed will support the stock market and the junk bond markets and the other asset markets yeah. at some point. Right. But let's be clear about you know why I'm choosing you know financial stability over inflation is because what history has shown is two. Th what we know from history is two things. The first thing is, is that despite the fact that the Fed has these stress tests for the financial banks, and then they tell us that, oh, yeah, these banks are set up for a 50% drawdown in the, in the markets and you know unemployment at 10%. They've got plenty of capital. They'll be fine. Um, and yet every time we have the smallest of drawdowns, we have the banks whining for a bailout, and the, and the Federal Reserve comes in and starts you know supporting the financial system. And we saw this specifically back in two, in 2020 here we have this 35% drawdown and not only did the fed federal reserve start bailing out corporations that had spent you know all their money for 5 years like boeing buying back their own stock rather than saving up for a rainy day um, they also went started buying junk bonds and junk bond ETFs to do to do what they weren't bailing out the credit market they were bailing out the banks through a backdoor policy because those are the guys that hold those loans and they didn't want those junk bond loans to go bankrupt. And as you and I have talked about before, we have a record number of companies. And this is one of the big challenges of owning the Russell 2000 
you've got a huge chunk of companies in the Russell 2000 that are essentially surviving on low rates. And if rates go up and they can't and they get locked out of the credit market for any reason whatsoever, there's going to be a rash of bankruptcies through the Russell 2000 index. That's and that's my whole point about financial stability is that the Fed has very little tolerance. I shouldn't say the Fed. The people that own the Fed, which are the member banks, have very little tolerance for a financial drawdown, and they're not nearly as capital healthy as they proclaim to be. And I would have been on that same exact soapbox. And look, you know as well as I do, yeah. to a large degree, I'm on that same soapbox. I go back in history too, but I go back and look at Paul Volcker in the 1970s, where inflation did take precedent. Now, now there's a huge difference he was wrong. between then. There's a big difference between then and now. And today there is massive amount of debt. In the 70s, there was very little debt. Rates could go. People could take out an 18% mortgage and it would be fine. There was no debt. Corporations had little debt. Treasury, U.S. Treasury's debt was relatively low. Now, a 1% increase in interest rates is very problematic for the economy, for many corporations, for some people. And this is the Fed's box. You know, this is, there are so many things culminating that have been in excess for the building over the last 30 years that is unfortunately coming to a head now. And that's what makes this environment so difficult that the Fed is in an environment and doing something they've they really haven't done for 30, for 40, mm -hmm. 50 years. And investors are facing an environment that people our age and younger have never been really traded in an inflate, a true inflationary environment. There have been a couple of minor spikes, but yeah. this is new to everyone. Well, it is. And particularly for a lot of these guys that started trading in 2010, 11, 12, 13, you know, a lot of these Reddit traders, right. a lot of these guys on YouTube that are, you know, that I, should say, I should say were spouting out advice. They've all disappeared now, um, <laughs> which isn't surprising. Um, but yeah, you know, and this is the thing. You go back to Volcker, you know, and yeah, there was very little debt. But what we also forget is, is that we had we were running eight and eight and a half percent rates of economic growth. Savings rates were near nine percent. You're absolutely right. People could take out a high interest rate loan and they were fine because that was the only debt they had to pay. Um, you know, probably going back in history, Paul Volcker may have made a mistake by trying to break the back of inflation rather than just letting it resolve itself after the Iranian you know, crisis was over. We'll see. History is always interesting to watch. But uh, we'll see what happens next week with the Federal Reserve. Uh, stick around, though. We've got three minutes on markets and money coming out. Be sure and get by our new platform, SimpleVisor.com, where we provide all of our research for you, our portfolios. You can track them along there. You can also have, have SimpleVisor manage your portfolio for you. It's all there for you. It's all very useful. I think you'll enjoy it. SimpleVisor.com. Check it out for 30 days for free. Um, also, get by our website. New blog post out this morning from Richard Rosso on unretiring. That sounds cheery. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day. It's a rich man's world.